All right, three, two, one. Welcome into another News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr alongside Justin Barney. Justin, uh, you know, it's been a little bit since we've done a podcast. It has. Uh, pre-draft. Pre-draft. It was pre-draft. So the draft's in the books. Rookie minicamp's even in the books. The Jaguars have been pretty busy knocking some things out. They brought in this draft class. Um, you know, with rookie minicamp behind us, one of the things that I kind of took from it was this was our first chance to see some of these guys on the field. And a lot of people were unsure about Trayvon Walker. I wasn't, I'm not going to say I completely bought into it. I understood that it was an option and, and why. But seeing this dude on the field, I mean, he is a, he's a monster. Yeah, you were out there. You saw all the guys, not just Trayvon and, mm -hmm. and Devin and Chad uh, Muma, uh, Luke Fortner, the, the top guys, but the undrafted guys too. So, yeah. you know, in addition, we thought Trayvon Walker would look good. How good did he look in person? I, I mean, he's impressive. I mean, he definitely has all the athletic tools. I mean, for a guy his size to be able to move the way he does, is it, it is extremely impressive. It, this guy, if they wanted him to put on more weight, I could see him doing that. If they want him to stay at the size he's at, he's already huge. I mean, he was... <laughs> You know, he, he was hitting some of the pads, and we are like, is he going to break this thing? Well, one of so, the things I thought was interesting, um, you know, talking to you and, and reading some of your stuff after that, was you think he is that outside linebacker in this in this defense. Yeah, they've, they've very much committed to that he's going to be an outside linebacker. I mean, it's similar enough to where Urban was committing that uh, Travis Etienne was going to be a wide receiver. <laughs> they, they've done the same thing. Walker completely worked one-on-one -on -one with Bill Shuey. Shuey is the Jaguars' outside linebacker coach during the entire minicamp. Um, while other players were working on special teams drills, Walker was working with the outside linebacker coach. Uh, I think that's a pretty clear indicator that at least first, we're going to see Walker standing up as an outside linebacker. And that's interesting, you know, and Doug Peterson, throughout the draft, um, you know, the, the few days after the draft when, when uh, we had a chance to listen to him, he said the big thing with the Jags was getting these guys in here and seeing what they can do, particularly Trayvon Walker. You know, Trayvon Walker in his three years at Georgia played everywhere. You look at his snap counts, you look where he lined up, he lined up, lined up he got snapped at cornerback as well. I mean, that's unbelievable for a defensive lineman to be getting snapped at cornerback. This shows his versatility. Uh, but the knock on, on Trayvon outside of the Jaguars was, will his pos positional versatility hurt him in the long run? I think we brought up last podcast, is he going to be a Solomon Thomas kind of player where he does all these workouts great. He's a, he's a, a versatile guy, but in the NFL, he gets into a position and he, he's, a, he's a man on an island. He doesn't have that position. And that was a negative I heard about Trayvon Walker. Yes, he's got this versatility, but what does that translate to in the, in the, the NFL? Doug Peterson, you know, when asked about this during, um, you know, post-draft stuff was, let's get him in here. Let's see what he does well. Let's see what he can do. Let's get him with our coaches. Um, let's have him focus on one thing. And, you know, what you saw was him focusing on one thing was what's not – I didn't think he was going to be the outside I linebacker. I didn't either. Kind of I did not expect him to be an outside linebacker. I thought he would start with his hands in the dirt. I, I really thought he was going to be more of that 3-4 end. Um, but they clearly see him as an outside linebacker. He's going to stand up. They were working on his drops. He's working one-on-one -on -one with the Jaguars' outside linebacker coach. I mean, I think that's as clear of an indication as we're possibly going to get until training camp of where he's going to fit in this defense. And the scary thing is, he for a guy who hasn't focused on a position, he looks smooth, you know, and he looks like he, ha he definitely has all the athletic ability to be able to do it. So, you know, if they're going to put him at this outside linebacker spot, 
I, it's not like, you know, you, you look at Josh Allen. We talk about Josh Allen as the crazy athlete he is. Walker is every bit of the same athlete, if not stronger, than Josh Allen is. Which is crazy to me. And I know when they drafted Josh Allen, the, the thought was, is he going to be a, um, a particularly a linebacker? I mean, he was mm-hmm. a linebacker at Kentucky. And, right. um, you know, when Dave Caldwell, I believe, Doug Marone said, hey, we want him to rush the passer. We want him to get at the quarterback. And you saw that his first year, 10 and a half sacks as a rookie, um, his most productive year in the NFL by far. He had help that year, and that was the big thing with right. Josh Allen. He had that help. Trayvon Walker's going to have help in the form of Josh Allen, DeJuan Smoot, maybe Devin Lloyd. Um, you know, so I think it will be uh, interesting to see um, if this unlocks Josh Allen's potential like we saw his rookie year. Hopefully it will help. Because especially after, once that rookie year was over, all of Josh Allen's help kind of disappeared, and then he had the injury problems last year. When he was healthy, we kind of saw flashes mm-hmm. of what we thought Josh Allen could be. So now he has this bookend opposite of him. We know it'll be Trayvon Walker on one side, Josh Allen on the other. The real question is how the rest of the pieces kind of fit together. I mean, last year we saw Dewan Smoot standing up at outside linebacker opposite of Josh Allen. I think Smoot's still going to be mixed in on this defense somewhere. Um, but with the idea that Walker is going to be that bookend to Allen, maybe we see Smoot with his hand in the dirt a little bit more, or you know, maybe a combination of all three of them on the field at times. Um, and I like Dewan Smoot. I, I really think I, he's such a, a versatile role player. Um, and yeah, you saw him last. I think he had six and a half sacks last year. Just he, a good. He, he's quietly one of those yes. guys that always puts up solid numbers. He, he's hard-nosed, he's versatile, he can kind of move around on the field and do a bunch of different things. He's very quietly always toward the top of the Jaguar sack numbers. He just hasn't been able to kind of break into that double-digit sack range, at least yet. But so, he's been, he's, he's, I don't think he's expected to really do that. No. I mean, he's that guy, um, you know, to me, it's, it's like an Arden key this year. What you want to see out of him is that DeWan Smoot type of production where he can come in, get to the passer a little bit, change things at the line of scrimmage, and be that six, seven sack a year guy. You don't right. need him to be a ten sack a year guy. If you can get six sacks from Smoot, and you can get six sacks from Key, and then if Allen can get you into the double digits, the real only question mark left is what do you get from Walker? Yeah. And uh, the honest question answer is nobody knows right now what you're going to get from him. This is, I mean, he talked about it after they drafted. This is his first time he's going to be able to focus on one position mm-hmm. in almost his entire life. I mean, at Georgia, he played a bunch of positions. In high school, he played a bunch of positions. There's even highlights in playing wide receiver in high school. I mean, he was was a guy that, um, and I think it goes back to the Solomon Thomas thing. You had a guy who, um, you know, I keep making that point, but I saw numerous stories in the lead-up to the draft Mm -hmm. pegging Trayvon Walker's rise as a Solomon Thomas kind of rise. Right. And Solomon Thomas is, in college, he was versatile. He was strong. He was a workout freak. And then you get to the NFL and you just don't have a position for him to kind of fit in there. Um, I think Trayvon Walker is excited to have one position to focus on and learn on. I don't think they're going to use him like Georgia did early on in his career at defensive tackle. Um, I think he's going to be that guy who can rush the passer, and whether that's at the end um, as a heavy end or a stand-up guy, I think that's what they drafted him to do is get to that passer. Right. And now you've got guys, I mean, he's not going to look – out of place if he has to drop into coverage. I mean, like you mentioned a minute ago, he's played cornerback before. Josh Allen, for all of as much as we hate to see him drop into coverage, he doesn't necessarily look out of place Mm -hmm. when he drops into coverage. So now they've got these two pass rushers on the edge who both can drop 
if need be, without looking out of place, which is a huge pro when you start talking about defensive versatility, the different kinds of schemes you can run, how you handle tight ends. I mean, right now what we know that Walker is, we haven't seen a whole lot of pass rush refinement from him, but we know he's a bulldozer. If you go against a tight end and he has to chip that guy coming off the edge, that better be a big tight end because Walker might put him down. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So I like to, I do like that. I still think, you know, going back and, and nitpicking the draft, I mean, you've seen these guys in person uh, at rookie minicamp. I do think the, the most curious pick to me was Chad Moomer. Um, mm-hmm. Third round, second, third round pick. Do you go for, you know, with Devin Lloyd there, with Trayvon Walker, and you get Chad Moomer? I just... I'm just concerned with three of your top four draft picks are on that defensive side of the ball, and two guys play the same position. So here's, I mean, I don't have a problem with the Muma pick, but what it tells me is we're going back to a Joe Schobert situation. They just brought in Foyer Aluakin, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden his clock's already ticking. You know what I mean? I mean, Devin Lloyd is going to be an inside linebacker mm-hmm. at, I mean, at some point. Chad Muma is going to be an inside linebacker. They can call him uh, their money backer, whatever they want. He's going to play inside. Those are your two inside linebackers of the future, and you just paid Foyer Aluakin yeah, a it, boatload of money, it, and all of a sudden his clock's already ticking. That just doesn't make sense to me. Again, that's a... I mean, that's a, that's a best player available pick. I can't argue with it because I do like Muma as a player. I can argue with he, doesn't, he didn't fill a need. He even said he didn't think Jacksonville was going to pick him mm-hmm. because they'd already picked Devin Lloyd. But now you've got this guy, and they talk him up as this green dot. He's, you know, he, he's the future. He can play the, this money backer position as a rookie, which is a passing down linebacker, which, again, the NFL is a passing league now. So if he's your passing down linebacker, that means Foyer is probably coming off, off the, the field. field. Right. So all of a sudden, you just handed out this big contract. Talk this guy up as he's going to be the mic of your defense. We're going to build around this guy. This is what we're doing. And... Now it's looking like a bad contract, less than one offseason. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't under, I just, didn't, to me, the pick at the time was a developmental linebacker, special teams guy's first year. Right. But he's not a special teams or developmental linebacker. He's a guy that was in many mock drafts, early second round pick. Right. So he's not a guy that you're going to sit there and, and say you're going to sit for two years mm-hmm. and get him, you know, 10 snaps a game on special teams. He's a guy that you're expecting to come in right now and compete for a starting job. And you've handed out a big money contract to the guy who led the NFL in tackles last year. So I just don't know. It just seemed like an excessive... um, It was a luxury pick. Yeah, luxury pick. I mean, Aluakin just became a rundown linebacker. So he is officially a a first and second down guy. And on third down, more than likely, we're going to see him watching from the sideline with the rest of us. Because realistically, like Lloyd is going to be a better cover person or cover player in this league than Foyer Aluakin mm-hmm. is. That's not a knock on Foyer. That's just what we've seen from Devin Lloyd. Dude looks like a safety on the field. He does. Um, and so he's going to be a better cover player. If they told Chad Mumma that he's going to be a money backer in this league, or at least for them as a rookie, that means they think he's a good cover player. That means... If he's a good coverage linebacker, and one of the knocks on Foyer coming out of Atlanta was his coverage skills, all of a sudden... He's going to be in there on third down. Exactly. So now you've you've just paid this boatload contract to a thumper. I mean, you just designated him a thumper, which is if you... That's one thing I guess you say, all right, well, at the very least, all these guys are supposed to be good locker room guys. This breeds competition. It's better to have 
too many good players than not enough good players. You, you know, hey, Mike Caldwell, figure it out. Um, that's a good thing. But it, from a, a cap space standpoint, from a looking at your free agent class standpoint, it's not exactly looking so good, yeah. you know? Um, and, and maybe he was that guy where they deemed best player available. And I don't, again, I don't think it was a bad pick from a player perspective. I think it's just when, strange. You look, when you look at him and you say, and this guy was a, a high second round pick in a lot of mock drafts, mm-hmm. it's not a bad pick. But having snagged Devin Lloyd in the first round, trading up to get Devin Lloyd, you had a Trayvon Walker, a guy who's going to play linebacker on the edge. Um, I just don't think that Moomba pick was um, a very wise pick for a guy that a third round pick has got to be in the conversation to start. He needs to play, He's especially in to, the, on this team. On this, especially team. on yes. this team. I mean, of the, their their first few picks, we know they're going to start. Devin Lloyd's a starter somewhere on that defense day one. Luke Fortner's starting at center or guard. They played him at center or worked him at center in rookie minicamp. Probably going to be your starting center. I mean, we know Trayvon Walker is going to start. The first player that we're questioning is Muma. Mm-hmm. So it's you look at it and you're like, okay, well, he was expected to be a really good player. And a lot of people are really high on this guy. How does he fit? And yeah. at, that's why that was part of the reason why I was so quick to say, well, Walker's going to be this hand-in-the-dirt end, at least to start. They'd simplify it for him and say, here's your job. Go and play this end role, and then we'll expand you maybe to the mm-hmm. edge if we decide. Because that would allow you to, to kind of put Lloyd on one side, designate him yep. as your drop backer, and use his pass rush ability there. And then maybe you put Foyer and Muma in the, in the middle. Made sense. It's not what they're doing. Yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought. If you were looking at that draft, um, Trayvon Walker is going to be an edge, edge rusher end He's mm-hmm. going to be hand in the dirt kind of guy, and you mm-hmm. put Muma in there. Uh, you have Devin Lloyd kind of floating around the field. I I don't think he's a traditional linebacker. I think Devin Lloyd um, gives that defense of all those draft picks even more so than Trayvon Walker. I do think Devin Lloyd gives them such a gadget player, such a Swiss Army knife. He can play anywhere. He I mean he could play safety. I think right. he's that good of a good looking of a player. So I think his selection gave them that creativity. Um, but I just think if you're running a traditional 3-4, where does Chad Muma fit in this with Foyer already in the mix? And who knows? Maybe it turns into this 2-5 strange-looking, you know, a little bit odder defense than, than we're used to where Allen and Walker are standing up and then they have these three linebackers toward the middle because Muma and Lloyd's ability to drop into coverage does give you a little bit more flexibility I mean, and it's not like we don't think Walker or Allen could really hold the edges as an end if need be in the run game because we've seen them both mm-hmm. play with their hand in the dirt. So maybe it evolves into this 2-5-ish thing where these two linebackers are standing up on the edges with three linebackers in the center. Who knows? All we know is that Mike Caldwell wants to play a multiple defense, and now he has these players to work with. Yeah, and if seven. you're Mike Caldwell, you're loving Every pick that they made. Oh, the I mean, look now. If Trent Baalke doesn't get a nice Christmas gift from Mike Caldwell, Caldwell does not like his job. Yeah, you got there's it. something. There's something wrong at that point because Baalke had put together a draft class purely made for Mike Caldwell. I mean, one of the picks that I was extremely skeptical of was this junior Gregory guy mm-hmm. or Gregory Junior. Um, that they took late in the draft. I was like, I know it's a project kind of thing out of Wichita College, but you know, seeing him on the field. Dude, dude fits in the NFL. I mean, he, he given he was standing next to you know undrafted guys and other late round picks, but I mean, he looks like an NFL receiver. And then even when you go back and watch what he was able to do at the Senior Bowl, 
I mean, he was keeping receivers that went in like the fourth round locked up. Yeah, and, and so, you wonder with selections like that and Monteric Brown, what happens to guys like a, you know, a Shaq Quarterman in the mix from, you know, with the linebacker selections? What happens to a, a Herndon? And, you know, where do these guys fit? These guys that uh, mm-hmm. were part of the old regime, where do they fit with these newer guys coming in here? The Greg Juniors and the uh, Monteric Browns possibly pushing those guys out of the, out of the starting There's going to be a lot of guys on the bubble. I mean, we've already kind of started to see that that bottom layer of the roster turning yep. over. I mean, Terry Godwin, Josh Hammond have both been in Jacksonville for years now. They've survived two coaching regimes. The third one came in, they've both been early flips. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, a lot of these guys are going to be on that, on that bubble. I mean, Trey Herndon, he's on a short contract. He better show his value that he is more valuable on special teams and as a depth player than they think Junior Gregory or Monteric Brown can be as a future piece. Mm-hmm. Because if they see the potential in those two guys and they say, you know what, they both can play special teams too, then Trey Herndon could be on the bubble. Right. I mean, Shaq Quarterman, he's sitting there. I mean, you've got three inside linebackers that yep. were brought in this offseason. You've got Where maybe one, yeah, right. you've got maybe one more spot that he's competing for. Lucky for him, he's a core special teamer, mm-hmm. but now you're competing against all the other special teams guys to keep your spot there as, all right, this is why I have to make the roster. Um, because that, that, and that's just the nature of the beast, especially when you get a new head coach. That bottom layer of the roster, nobody's safe yep. because do you fit the system? Does Doug Peterson slash Trent Baalke like you? Do you fit what they want to do? You might have fit the last couple of right. regimes picture of that position, but do you fit Mike Caldwell's defense? Do you fit Doug Peterson's offense? You might not. I mean, a, a Laquan Treadwell, he's the layer for a Kevin Austin Jr. from Notre Dame, that undrafted free agent mm-hmm. that a lot of people are keying on. He has to go in and beat out Treadwell. So while Treadwell came in last season, he looked like he was on the same page as Trevor and played pretty well into another contract. Can he beat out those guys? I don't know. I mean, so, that, that, I, I like the competition. I like, yeah. um, I like the Kevin Austin. Um, I like the receivers um, that they added in free agency. I still think they're they're missing that alpha in the room. Yeah, uh, we've covered that time and again. Um, but I do think that competition breeds uh, breeds depth and in a in a better environment. Um, but I just wonder again with pit, you know picks like uh, Chad Muma, what pick, you know where where does Shaq Quarterman? Where does a player like that fit in? Um, I, I do think it's going to be some of that roster churn and. Um, we're going to see some of those guys we've seen the last couple of years gone. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Minicamp and OTAs are rolling around the corner, so we'll start to get a few more peeks into exactly what the Jaguars are doing. We'll get those kind of hot ticket guys that are the buzz heading into training camp. So we'll, we'll start to kind of figure some of these things out. So, I, you know, we talked about it last time. You've seen rookie minicamp now. You've been on the field down there and, mm-hmm. and that. I think our, our post-draft Jaguars grades, I was a B-minus and you were a B-plus. Change a little bit for you after rookie minicamp. I'm I'm still in the B plus range. Actually, I'll even I'll even bump it up. I was at a B plus. I'll bump it up to an A. And because the two that I was, so, I'm still low on Snoop Connor. I still think that was just not. Wasted pick. I think that yeah. was a wasted pick. I think he makes the roster just because there's no competition right now for that spot. But it, it just it just doesn't fit for me. But I was very low on the Gregory Jr. and I was kind of questionable on Monteric Brown. Still not necessarily on the Brown train, but Gregory Jr. is starting to make me into a believer. After the draft, I started to go through some of the Senior Bowl stuff because we were down there. So I even went through some of our video footage 
found a few clips of him in there. Um, and then seeing him in person, he looks like a pro-ready corner. He has size. He's a smooth back pedal, moves around on the field very well. I mean, I could see this guy coming in to compete for a depth spot right now, which right now all the Jaguars need him to do is be a gunner on special teams and be their fourth corner at best. I'm good with that as, as a sixth-round pick, and I think he could come in and do that. Where his ceiling's at, I have no idea. He went to mm-hmm. Wichita College, so it ain't like I've seen him against good competition, but the one thing that I did figure out as I kind of went through and even watching him at rookie minicamp is when he's been on the field with good competition, he always rises to the challenge, and that's something that I can live with. Yeah, I, I, it's good to hear you say that about Gregor Jr. because draft, when that came, Wichita Baptist, their first ever draft pick, people were like, where is this college? What, what, what is this? How do we say um, this? What are we doing? <laughs> so good to hear that after, you know, from a, from a pick like that. Yeah, so I, I'm getting on board with that one. We'll see. I, I can't knock the Monteric Brown since it was so late in the draft, and it's a guy that was tied for the SEC lead in interceptions. We'll see what he has come training camp. Um, but I'm still, I'm still really low on Snoop Conner. I might have been low before seeing him in person. Really didn't yeah, change it, my. I just I don't see opinion. where he fits in there other than special teams. I mean, he's not going to be a, a a goal line situation back. I think he's. They needed a young running back to bring in to to fill out the the position. They needed a running back. I thought running back was a need with Travis Etienne and James Robinson both coming off major injuries. I thought you needed a, a high upside running back who, just in case there's a setback or an early re-injury, a guy who could fill in. And I don't think he's that guy. I don't think Snoop is that guy either. And seeing him in person did nothing to change my mind of that. Yeah. So we'll see if they bring in more competition at that running back spot. Right now they still have Ryquel Armstead on the roster. Um, but I mean, he's been around for a yeah, little bit. I think you We're know not what you're sure with with Reich well. some, I think uh, I think some new blood. Yeah, and maybe Snoop is the guy. I mean, maybe we'll he's see. A, you know, a, he's a physical runner, so he really doesn't get to show his full talent set or skill set until the pads go on. So we'll see. Maybe maybe once he gets a chance to truck a few guys, all of a sudden there's a changing of opinion there. But, I mean, watching him run through pads, I mean, he was fielding some kicks, and I'm like, I just can't see this guy kickoff returning or even being a backup returner. I don't know how it comes together. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it, you know, and since we've done our last podcast, how about the more Urban Meyer news oh my coming God. out? You know, Shad Khan <laughs> a couple weeks ago said that he um, completely lost trust in, in Urban. You can't work with a guy like that. No. And then last week, the Josh Lambeau news, where he sued the Jaguars for a, a hostile work environment and um, – detail with the Urban Meyer kicking situation. Um, so we'll Dirt. be interested to see how that happened. I think he's seeking $3.5 million, which was his contract last year, plus damages. Um, and, and in short, he basically said the stress that Urban Meyer put on him prevented him from doing his job well. Right. And I, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know totally. if I do either, but you know what? I get it. During the rookie minicamp, Doug Peterson was really close to, to Mevis while he was – yeah, Mavis, while he was kicking a few field goals. And I go, don't you, I asked him, does somebody want to go tell Doug that he needs to give this guy some space? We saw this with Urban. It, was, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> I just don't, um. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you can't, if you're a boss, you can't kick your player. No, you know? no, you cannot but kick your player. I think if Urban may have been a little bit more of a, a player's coach and not so regimented, he could have gotten away with that. Right. You know, written it off as a, as a jet, playful joke or whatever the case may be. But um, Urban being the, the toxic man he is, obviously did not work out that way. Yeah. Um, 
and couldn't write that off as just joking around with them. No, uh, I'm, but, I'm eager to put the Urban Meyer drama and saga But there's something that us. pops up every few weeks. And there Urban will, because, I mean, it looks like he's going to be back on TV soon, and he'll be talking about things. And, you know, as players kind of come back, the locker room will be open back up. Some of these guys will be more comfortable talking about some of the things they went through last season now because Meyer's gone especially if he goes on TV and starts saying his opinion on things, we'll see more and more of these stories start to kind of surface. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. But Josh Lambeau's lawsuit, what, what do you think of that? Is that, do you think Urban Meyer berating him? And to me, it just seems a, a slippery slope. How are you going to prove, how are you going to prove that Urban being, uh, talking down to you, made you do your job poorly. It, it just screams settle out of court to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to get settled before it gets to court. I don't. Th- I think Shad will just pay him to shut up, honestly. That, I mean, that's just what it looks like to me. I mean, the, the when you start getting down to it, the NFLPA probably wouldn't support this lawsuit because, I mean, then you start getting into the gray area of what's coaching and what's not coaching. Um, unless there's vi- – the, right now the kick is – his word versus Urban's word and and possibly Urban's witnesses mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, what was meant by that kick. So it doesn't, the timing of the firing after the first story doesn't exactly look well on the Jaguar mm-hmm. side. Um, I will say that, you know, the Logan Cook and, and the long snack, snapper weren't exactly, Ross Mastic, they weren't exactly rolled out the red carpet for media availability at times last year because of the expectation that this was pending. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect, I, I think the Jaguars have known this was coming for a while. It just screams that a lot of court. I think this will just disappear, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't know how Josh Lambeau would prove that. And... Yeah, it'll be tough, but I, I think ultimately where Shad and the Jaguars will make the decision is we don't want this to go to court where they start trying to call witnesses and pulling paperwork. Mm-hmm. Because then all of the Urban Meyer drama will be made public and be thrown out there. So we'll have to see how that all kind of works out. I think it'll all kind of resolve itself and fade to the darkness, especially once we start to get to the chance where they'll be playing football. Um, I think we're about running out of time, so that'll do it for this News for Jags podcast. We'll check in with you uh, uh, next week. Yeah.